You are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 38 through 42, 38 through 42. I want to talk to you tonight about the cure for holiday stress. How many of you have ever felt a little bit of stress in the middle of the holiday season? Can I see your hand? Okay. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, will you go ahead and raise them and say, I was lying to you when I didn't raise my hand? That's just fine. It's fine. All of us kind of feel that. And so tonight I want to talk to you about that from a very, for a common story for those of us who grew up in church that we've heard a lot, but I want to just apply some things and as far as holiday stress goes, but it's actually stress in general, the things that you stress about, the things that I stress about, God has already taken place. And in this moment, this biblical account, Jesus actually speaks to those things as well. So starting in verse 38 of Luke chapter 10, it says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. And she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. How many of you can just identify with that question right there? Why is it always me doing the work, right? So it says, the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, I have to tell you something. Anytime you hear that phrase, you just know something's coming, right? Oh, it, my dear Martha is, if it was Southern, okay, it'd be, bless your heart. Let me just, let me just talk to you for a second. My dear Martha, bless your heart. You are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Lord, in these next few moments, I pray that you would give me the words that you would have me to say. And I pray, God, that you would anoint those words as they go forth and on our ears to hear them and our hearts to receive them so that you may accomplish your perfect will. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Um, I can remember several, several years ago, uh, the kids were small, and I remember um, getting up, staying up uh, all night long, putting together presents. How many of you know what it feels like to stay up all night long and put together presents for your children, knowing that they're gonna just have this wonderful look on their face and just this gratitude is going to fill them? <laughs> and the next morning they woke up and they tore through that like a hurricane coming through the coast. They just tore through everything. And my son, who is a precious young man, preached with me a couple of weeks ago. My son, who was probably about mm, maybe five, six years old at the time, he looked at me, looked at all his presents, all the bicycle that he got, the things that I stayed up till three o'clock in the morning putting together. He looks at me and says, look at all this stuff Santa got me. He said, why didn't you get me anything? And of course, we were protecting him at the time, but there was a spirit that came over me <laughs> that I was drawn back from. But I literally, at that moment in time, when he said, why didn't you give me things? I said, let me tell you something about Santa, buddy. <laughs> I was pulled back and said, hang on. That's not the way to have the discussion, you know. But I was like, I, I spent all evening. I have gone, this is before the days of Amazon. 
I've gone in the mall and waited in line for that stupid gift that you thought was just so, I was had it up to here and I worked so hard and the next morning, that's what I got. I, my stress level was over the top. How many have ever felt that at the holidays? There's a lot of reasons for holiday stress. Shopping for gifts, getting to all the necessary holiday parties. How many of you have been to parties that you go to those parties and on the way you go, I don't even like these people. Why am I going to that party? You know what I'm talking about. Putting up decorations, wrapping gifts, fighting traffic, having enough money to buy the gifts. Stores are out of the gift that you're looking for and that your child or grandchild desperately needs and want, right? Three frightening words to at least me, you're probably better than I am. Three words that send shivers up my spine. Some assembly required. You know what that means? Some parts left over that you don't know what they go to, right? Having the right clothes for special occasions, gaining weight, Christmas programs for the kids at school and church, forgetting someone that you were supposed to buy a gift for, right? Feeling the pressure to make a memory. Anybody ever had those moments? You will all get over here and smile like you're having a good time, whether you like it or not, right? Had those? Knowing the year's coming to a close and you didn't get everything done that you thought you would. Facing relatives you don't get along with. Amen? <laughs> Some of you are afraid to say amen because <laughs> they're on the other side of the family, right? I know. Three often overlooked words. You know what those are? Batteries not included. <laughs> and the whole gift doesn't go well. Arranging travel schedules, paying off credit cards, causes your anxiety to go up, causes stress to begin to rise. Do you know that stress is just your body's alarm system telling you that you are taking on too much, that there's too much. Stress is anything that causes a heightened state of awareness or alarm in our system. Stress is not always bad, but it's always supposed to be short-term. It's supposed to heighten the body in order to respond at certain times. But if you stay in that state, it's damaging to you. Um, it's, stress is like a rubber band. These things are made to be stretched, right? They're made to be stretched. But if you stretch them too far and hold them in that place too long, they lose their elasticity. And eventually they become brittle, they become cracked, and they break. This, this is what stress does. If you continually allow it in your life, you're stretched beyond your ability. You stay there longer than you were supposed to stay. Here are some symptoms of stress. This is going to be better than WebMD for some of you right now, right? Frequent headaches, stiffness in the neck, shoulders, jaw, arms, legs, or hands, stomach issues, irregular heartbeat, getting dizzy or lightheaded, Difficulty falling or staying asleep, waking up feeling tired, anger or irritability. Some of you are probably like, oh no. <laughs> Most of us won't admit we have stress. Most of us won't admit that there's a problem within us. We just keep piling it on and piling it on, unwilling to admit it and carrying a burden we're not supposed to carry. I learned a valuable lesson 
years ago. I left here in 2011, and I went to a church in Ohio. And I went, when I went to that church, um, what they didn't tell me at the time was that um, what, what, what I was told at the time was that I was going to a church that was about 400 people and was in great shape and all of this stuff. What I went to was a church that had averaged 190 people, and 50 of those were kids they bust in. So 140 people, that's the core of the church, I thought was 400. What I didn't know was that there was a staff change that needed to be made. So when I got there, the elders of the church met with me, not during the interview process, after I got there and said, this ministry needs to be shut down over here and that person needs to be dealt with or let go. We should have done it before you got here, but we didn't. I'm like, thanks. And so within the first three months, I have to shut down a ministry that's been going on for 50 years and I have to fire a staff person that has been not just underperforming, but causing issues. And I've dealt with stuff all of my life. And if you would ask me and said, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, I'm dealing with this stuff, but you know, God's grace is sufficient. I'm just, I'm going with all the platitudes, right? So we're going to go away for the weekend for a couple of days. And um, uh, I, I don't feel well. And I feel like I've got a sinus congestion and I feel like there's like, um, uh, like bronchitis or something is starting to set in. So I, I go to this little medical clinic that's just the dock in the box, the emergency clinic. And I go over there and I just say, yeah, I just need some antibiotics, something to help me out here. And they, they're, they're listening and they go, I, we don't hear anything. There's no congestion whatsoever. I was like, well, I don't know what to tell you. And they said, what does it feel like? I said the wrong words. I said, I don't know. It just feels like something's sitting on my chest. And they disappear for a moment. They went, oh, hang on just a second. They disappear for a moment. They come back and they say, okay, here's what's going to happen. There's an ambulance on the way. I said, oh my goodness, for whom? <laughs> and they said, for you. And I said, unfortunately, you're over 40. I said, well, this just gets getting better and better the whole time. Not only are you telling me I've got an ambulance, now you're insulting me. So I said, why? They said, well, we can't figure out what's going on. This could be heart issues you got to go to the hospital. I said, no, 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 I'm not going to the hospital. About that time, they've already called the ambulance. They're wheeling in the gurney into this place. So they wheel the gurney in, they get it. I don't know if they've never done this before. It didn't seem like that way because they wheeled the gurney down. They tried to get it into the room where I am and the gurney would not fit into the door. And they're trying to figure out, well, how are we going to get them over here? I was like, I'll just walk. So I walk over, get on the gurney. They take me out. I have to call my wife. And the first words out of my mouth, hey, don't worry about this, but I'm going to get in an ambulance, go to the hospital. And for some reason in this town in Ohio, they had the brilliant idea that we'll save public space. In this one area, we're going to put a public library, a medical clinic, and a high school all of them sharing the same plaza, like the same entrance plaza is sharing the same one. I get wheeled out of this, of this urgent care place. School is going on. There are students everywhere. I'm getting wheeled out and all I hear, I'm just embarrassed. I'm mortified at this moment in time. I'm not even hurting. I'm just mad and I'm embarrassed. All I hear from the upstairs of this high school is some smart adult little kid that yells down, get better, dude. 
Every head is turning toward me now. They put me in this ambulance. They give me a nitroglycerin pill. They said, put it under your tongue. I put it under my tongue. About two minutes later, they said, how do you feel? I said, my chest still hurts. And they said, oh, well, it may not be your heart. And I said, why does my head hurt? And they said, oh, a side effect. It might give you a migraine. I went, seriously? My, uh, what is happening? So they said, we're going to start an IV. And I, they start an IV. I'm just I'm going, this, is, I, this can't get any worse. And I hear the, I hear the EMT go, uh-oh. I'm like, hey, look at me. Uh-oh is not the sound that I need to come out of your mouth. And I go, what happened? He said, ah, blew a vein. I was like, is that bad? I mean, I'm thinking tire blowout, there's shredded veins. I'm like, what are, what are you doing? He's like, oh, it'll be fine. I'm like, why did you? So we get to the hospital. My family gets there. One of the elders gets there from the church. And he comes in. I describe what's going on. They're running tests. We're there for hours. And this elder is looking at me and he goes, you know what that sounds like? I said, no, what? He said, that sounds like stress. And I went, but I'm not stressed. He said, okay. So they run more tests and they start asking me questions. And he, every once in a while, this elder, he's a quiet guy. And he just come and go, he goes, you know what that sounds like? I'm like, no, stress? And he said, yeah. But I said, but I'm not stressed. Finally, after six hours in the ER, the doctor comes and says, there's nothing wrong with your heart whatsoever. He said, but, he said, there's a problem you've got going on. I said, what is that? He said, you're stressed. <laughs> From behind this doctor is this quiet elder that just kind of goes. <laughs> and the doctor leaves and he walks over and he goes, pastor. He said, you don't need me to tell you about God, but. He said, you know, that's his church, right? And you know, after all the prayer that's gone into these things, the decisions you made, the decisions we made, that you're probably carrying the weight of right now, you're never supposed to carry that weight. He said, that's God's church, that's God's weight, and for some reason you decide to pick it up. And he said, you gotta let God do what he's gonna do, and you've gotta do only what God called you to do. Here's what I need you to know from experience from this passage, stress, holiday stress, but stress in general is caused by one of two things. You're either worrying about what needs to be done or you're worrying about what other people are doing. You're worrying about what needs to be done. Look at verse 38 through verses, the first part of verse 40. It says, the disciples of Jesus continued on their way to Jerusalem. They came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him in their home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Jesus physically has walked into her home, is sitting down and spending time with them. And she's distracted by all the plans she has made to make sure that the Lord's visit was good. Those are really good intentions. I mean, it, it's really great that she's worried about entertaining and preparing and all of those things. But if we're not careful, we can become like Martha. We get so distracted by what we think is important, we actually miss what is really important. 
Peter Drucker, who died in 2005, was one of the most effective executive consultants in the business world. And what he said was, the problem for most people in general, not even spiritual, in most people, is not priorities. It's posteriorities. What he said is this. What he means is this. It's not the things that you're trying to put first. It's the things that you don't know to put last. You get confused and think these things are important when these things are actually important. What he says is this, this is the place where you need to cross out everything that distracts you from the most important things. In other words, some of us probably need to make not a to-do list, but a not-to-do list. You need to figure out the things that are distracting you from the most important things. Literally make a point of leaving certain things out. Let me ask you a question, okay? If it's really stressing you out, do you really have to bake cookies for everybody in the neighborhood? If it's going to cause you anxiety, if it's going to cause you tension with the people that you love, do you really have to do those things? If it's going to stress you out, do you really have to put up all the lights and the decorations you put up last year? Now, if you say, are you against lights and decorations? No, I'm against you stressing out. One of the greatest things I found in relationships after I first got married, can I just tell you this, was a pre-lit Christmas tree. Just about got divorced the first three years because I could never put the lights on right and I'd have to take them back off and put them back. And when I put them back, I'd turn around and they were being fixed behind me. And I was just like, why do I even want to help? That was the wrong thing to say, you know? What's the things that are stressing you out? Did it cost me a little more money? Yep, cost me more money. Did I care? Nope, didn't care. This, This is the point, is what do you need to absolutely do to keep Christ at the center of your Christmas? And what are the things that you think are important that are not at all worshipful things, but just maybe some traditions that you're trying to carry on because you've always done it, or mom or dad did it, or your grandparents did it, or you think your kids expect it? What are the things that are causing you to lose focus on the most important thing? That Galatians 4 tells us that when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son born of woman to be a sacrifice for you and me. That's what Christmas is about. But we complicate it so much. Stress is caused by worrying about things that you think need to be done. The other thing that causes stress is worrying about what other people are doing or what they're not doing. All God's people said? Look at what it says in verse 40, the second part. Martha came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Two things. Jesus never told Martha to do the things she was doing. She willingly wanted to do those things. But then she gets offended that somebody else wasn't doing the things that she wants to do for the Lord. You get where I'm going here. Things that she felt drawn, that she wanted to do for God, 
she's doing those things, but then she gets mad because somebody else doesn't feel the same thing she does, and she thinks she is more righteous and holy because I'm doing the work. Why don't you tell her to help me do all this great stuff I decided to do for you, Lord? Martha's so concerned that Mary's not pulling her weight and acting the way that she should that it takes her own focus off of Jesus instead of focusing what was the most important. What's the most important thing that was happening in the story? The creator of the universe walked in the door of their house. That's the most important thing that's happening in this story. But it's not the most important thing to Martha. I'm going to ask you some really tough questions tonight, okay? What are the ways you're watching other people and it's distracting you from spending time with Jesus or it's distracting you from enjoying the season where the world, to some degree, whether they are Christ followers or not, they're turning their focus to Jesus in some way. The whole world is right now. Maybe not in the way you are, but the whole world is turning their attention towards Jesus for a moment. And what's really, really sad is sometimes it comes in the form of whether or not we think people are doing it the right way or not. Can I just tell you something? There are always going to be people in your life that expect you to do something different because they do it that way. There are always people in your life that want you to do something because it's a priority to them. You're not responsible for the priorities of other people. You understand that? But they're not responsible for the priorities that are important to you either. And that's where the issue is. I remember, look, people will lay expectations on you all the time, and we, 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 we get plenty of examples of those, but where do you lay expectations on other people? When I was pastoring in Birmingham, there was a lady that came up to me one Sunday, and um, as I get finished preaching, I go out to the lobby, and she walks up to me, and um, she's got this, it's one of those ladies, sweet, syrupy little smile and voice. She looked at me, and she said, oh, I heard that was such a good message today. I said, oh, okay. And she said, I wish I could have heard it. I'm thinking, she must have had to step out. Was she helping in children's? I don't know. And she said, yeah, she said, I don't actually hear, I'm not able to hear messages from preachers who don't wear ties. Do you know how the Bible says in the book of 1 Samuel, and the spirit of the Lord departed Saul? (laughs) For a brief moment, the spirit of the Lord departed Kirk. And I said, oh, you don't hear preachers that don't wear ties? And she said, no. And I said, oh, okay. And I said, do you believe in a God who heals? She said, absolutely I do. I said, well, I'm going to pray for your hearing then, that God's going to heal your ears. And maybe, just maybe, you can sit in the service and hear something next time. That was not the right thing to say, but I felt better about myself at that moment. I'm telling you publicly what happens to you privately all the time. People lay their expectations on you. But here's the problem. You can lay your expectations on other people and you expect people to do things the way you do them and your way is the best way. Can I just give you a couple of examples? And when you do this, 
You can wind up with a spirit of offense if people don't do it. And what you turn out to be is self-righteous. So I'm gonna give you a couple of examples. And if it offends you, I'm sorry, kind of. I just wanna give you a couple of examples of things that people make a big deal out of that maybe, just maybe, you don't even know the origin of these things. So we're in the season of Christmas. Every kid thinks about Santa Claus. And I, I, look, I've been in ministry for 26 years now full-time, okay? I've seen it, well, every time I say I've seen it all, I see something else. But I've seen a lot, heard a lot. I cannot tell you the amount of times that I hear people talk about Santa Claus, and I know it's secularized. I know all of that. I've heard people call him Satan Claus. I've heard all of this stuff. Can 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 I just tell you I've seen more people get offended about Santa Claus and they don't focus on Jesus because they're always focused about other people worrying about Santa Claus. Can I just give you an origin of what we know of him right now? Let me just give you a couple of things. He's based on the generosity of a fourth century pastor named Nicholas. His influence is so great that by the 10th century, it's written the West as well as the East acclaims and glorifies him. Wherever there are people, his name is revered and churches are built in his honor. He was born into a wealthy family around 270 AD. His parents died of a plague and he was orphaned, but he was, and, and, and so he went, was taken to a monastery. He decided, though he was wealthy, to become a monk. And one of the things that you had to do as a monk was to become poor. You had to give your wealth away. And he wanted to do it anonymously. So he decided there were a lot of stories, but the most story, the most famous of those stories that happened was there was a father who had three daughters who couldn't be married because the father had no money to provide a dowry for those girls. And so the oldest daughter planned to sell herself into slavery and for the family. It was either slavery or prostitution. She chose to sell herself as a slave. Nicholas heard of this, came up with a plan under his own. Under the cover of night, he snuck up on their house, threw a bag of gold coins through the window. And in the morning, the father found these gold. The family was saved. His oldest daughter, honor preserved, and a dowry for her marriage was secured. When the second daughter grew up, he did the exact same thing for her as well. When the third daughter grew up, finally, um, all the, window, the, the father wanted to find out who was doing this. So all the windows were shut. He couldn't throw it in. So he climbs up on the roof of the house. He throws the coins down the chimney, and some of them wind up in a stocking. But the father found him and discovered him. And as he discovered him, he had set a little bit of a trap. Bells were there, that he tripped. The bells went off. The father found him. Nicholas begged him not to tell people of his generosity, but the man told of it anyway. In medieval times, nuns would take the baskets of food and clothing to the needy anonymously. On a particular day, today's date, December 6th, which is the day that St. Nicholas is remembered, in honor of his generosity and his anonymity. The name Santa Claus comes from the Dutch word Sinterklaas, which means St. Nicholas. It's just an Americanized pronunciation of the remembrance of a generosity. Has it been secularized? Yes. Is it demonic? No. Can I offend you a little more? Christmas trees. 
I've heard people talk about Christmas trees. Oh, don't you dare put up a Christmas tree. It comes from the Druid pagan practices of the Druids who worship trees. And there is a semblance of truth to that. But can I give you the rest, the Paul Harvey rest of the story? Okay. 725 AD, St. Boniface preached about the birth of Jesus to the Druids in Germany who held that evergreens were sacred. And so they would offer sacrifices to one of the large trees called the Donar Oak. St. Boniface went, cut that tree down. It split into two, crushed everything around it except one small fir sapling between the halves of the tree. And Boniface took this as a miracle of Christ and declared, let this be called the tree of the Christ child. He would teach about that miracle of God doing that, and he would draw a triangular tree representing the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Germany, they began to plant fir saplings at Christmas time as a remembrance of this. By the 12th century, the fir tree was being hung upside down from ceilings in Central Europe as a symbol of Christianity. Christmas trees showed up in a paradise play in Germany with apples decorating it, representing the sin of man. Communion wafers were added to it, representing the redemption of God over the sin. People then began to put lights on the Christmas tree, symbolizing the light of the world. The wafers were eventually replaced with pastries in the shapes of hearts, stars, angels, and bells. Can we not just say praise the Lord that those communion wafers were were replaced by pastries at some point, right? I mean, come on. The first Christmas tree reported in America was in 1747 among the German Moravian immigrants in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. In 1850s, President Franklin Pierce began the tradition of putting a Christmas tree in the White House to celebrate Christ. Electric lights were first placed on Christmas trees in 1882. And today in America, people buy over 40 million trees a year. Am I telling you, you got to have a Christmas tree to celebrate? No, I'm just saying this. You don't want a Christmas tree? Okay. But when you walk into somebody's house, don't look at it and go, oh, I can't focus on Jesus now. Can I give you one more that'll just make you even more mad? I realize I realize that some people say Merry Xmas as a, as a direct reason to not say Christ. I, I know, I'm not ignorant. Look, I was a pagan for a long time. I'm not ignorant of the ways of the world. But the origin of X is during persecuted times, they substituted X for Christ because X represents Chi in the Greek alphabet, which is the first letter of Christ, as a way of communicating their devotion to Christ. Am I telling you to say Merry Xmas? No. I'm just saying you don't have to go around on everything and say let's keep Christ in Christmas when he was there from the start. Sometimes we let our ignorance get in the way of our worship. And when I say ignorant, I'm not trying to be offensive. I didn't say stupid. I didn't say moronic. Ignorant means unknowing. Okay? Just so we're clear. Ignorant only means I just didn't know. But sometimes we let ignorance of the truth force us into a place where we don't even worship God anymore because we've been misinformed. We live in a day and age of way too much information to be misinformed about a lot of this stuff, folks. Don't pay attention to all the posts you see on social media from people who are also ignorant of it. 
You can, you, you can look this stuff up. You can find it out. What I'm saying is this. Martha is distracted by two things. She's distracted by all the things she thinks needs to get done, and she's distracted because Mary isn't doing the stuff she thinks is important. How many times have you lost focus on what was important at Christmas by all the stuff you think needs to get done that really isn't that important? Or all the things that distract you and upset you that have nothing to do with whether or not you can worship Jesus or not? So what's the cure? The cure is the exact answer Jesus gave to Mary. It's simply to focus on him. Verse 41 and 42. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you were worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it. It will not be taken away from her. The Lord of all heaven and earth entered into that home. And he said, even though you're distracted and you're mad at her, I will not take that away from her. At Christmas time, we celebrate the fact that the Lord of all heaven and earth, though he didn't have to, condescended and entered into our world to be a sacrifice for our sins, a replacement and a punishment that we might have peace with God. What are the things that are distracting you or upsetting you that keep you from focusing on Jesus? Because whatever they are, they're not worth it. All the baked goods in the world are not worth it if it takes your eyes off Jesus. You can have the best decorated house in the neighborhood, one that would put Clark Griswold to shame, and it won't substitute for your time with Jesus. You can think you're morally pure and right, more righteous than everyone else because you do it better than they do. And when you do that, you turn your eyes on you and not Jesus. My hope, my prayer for all of us is that we don't get caught up in all of that distraction and things that upset us. But that we'll keep our eyes completely focused on Jesus because he came for one reason, to die for us so that his body would be broken that ours would not. His blood would be spilled that ours would not. And that his blood would be applied to our lives and to our sins so we could be made whole through Christ our Lord. And it starts at Christmas. Anything that takes away from that is not worth your time and not worth your effort. I'm gonna ask if you would, if you'd take your communion elements. They represent the body that was broken for us and the blood that was spilled for us. The top layer will unseal the wafer. The bottom layer will unseal the juice representing the body and the blood of Christ.
these should be. We need some back here. We need, uh, if somebody has some, uh, some of the worship hosts, can you get one right back over here, please? Thank you so much. Thank you. These are usually pretty easy to get into as well, but if you look over and see your neighbor struggling, this is a great opportunity to serve them, right? Help them out. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. He says, on the same night that the Lord was betrayed, he took bread. After he blessed it, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Would you remember the body of Christ? And in the same manner, he took the cup and said, this cup is my blood in the new covenant. Take and drink as often as you do in remembrance of me. Would you remember the blood of Christ? For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, Paul says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Here's what I'd like for you to do as we end our time together tonight. In the seat back in front of you, one of those seats, there are prayer cards there. Here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to take that card and I want you as we sing this song, I want you to think about what is the one thing that is stressing me out right now? Don't put your name on it. Don't want anything to do anything like that. I want you to write that down. What is the one thing that's stressing me out? And as we sing this song together, turn your eyes on Jesus. As you finish writing those things, as a symbol of act and an act of faith, I want you to bring those things and lay them right here. Don't put your names on it. Don't do anything. Bring that stress moment to God and allow him to take over that situation right now. Take those while we sing and we worship. Write those down and bring them to the front.
Can we stand together? Can we sing it together one more time. Turn your eyes. Oh, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look for in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely. Father, right now we commit these things to you. None of them take you by surprise. As a matter of fact, Holy Spirit, you've been convicting and trying to convince us for some time probably to give these things over to you. Stop worrying about things that are not important. Stop worrying about the things that other people are doing. Stop worrying about the things that are beyond our control but they're not beyond yours. God, we give to you our anxiety, our stress, our worries, our fears. We give them to you because we trust you. And so I pray as we leave this place, there'd be a peace that settles in over our hearts. A peace that normally would cause us an absence of peace that would cause us the to think way too much about circumstances beyond our control or to try too much about something we don't have the power to change. I pray for peace that not only settles in hearts, peace that allows us tonight as we lie down, I pray for rest, not just sleep, restorative sleep that comes from peace settling in over us as we give to you our burdens. You said in your word, we can cast them on you because you care for us. And as we do that, may we be overwhelmed not by problems, but by the fact that you loved us enough that you sent your son Jesus to be born and robed in flesh, to die for our sins, to rise that we could have new life and we have power to live victoriously. And it all begins at Christmas. Help us to keep our eyes focused on that tonight and for the rest of this season. We ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, thanks for being here tonight. Don't forget this Sunday, um, we continue our series that we began, Holy Moments. This week we're looking at Mary and uh, talking about when it's time to surrender something in our lives. 
Uh, on your way out, if you're interested, I've never preached in a sweatshirt before, but here I am. Mount Vernon North, it's got our logo on the back, love, grow, serve. Um, there, these are out there. There's some student um, uh, merchandise that's out there as well. Some that um, have some of our slogans and some scripture as well. Um, if you'd like those, they're out there. Um, not just to, uh, here's what I don't want you to do. I want you to go buy something just because you're proud of your church, proud of what God's doing. And this, this is, we're just a local outpost of the kingdom of God. But what God is doing here is remarkable. And I am so grateful that God has brought us all together for this time and this reason here in Mount Perrin North. Allow me the privilege to bless you before you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you, folks. Love you. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountparanorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at or give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, we'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 945 or 1115 a.m. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.